0: Please turn with me in your scriptures to the book of Genesis. Today we are in Genesis 41. We have been following Joseph with anxious anticipation as he was betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. As he was betrayed and put in prison by Potiphar's wife. As he was betrayed and left in prison when the the chief cupbearer forgot what Joseph had done for him. And so today we pick up the story with some words that should say to us we know the answer to Pharaoh's problems. And so begin um, reading with me as we look at Genesis chapter 41 verses 1 through 57. Hear the word of the Lord. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind, The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings, Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he was shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of, heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can't interpret it. I cannot, just, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they, that they had done so. So they looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up these seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of the Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kids, Cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon." And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and had a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your words no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zaphnath paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put food grown in the field surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but it was the whole land of Egypt. There was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grains to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your revelation. We thank you that you have restored Joseph. As we have looked at this cycle of exaltation and humiliation We are reminded that oftentimes we live our lives in much the same way. And we have the promise that after a period of humiliation, that you will set us upon your glory, set us upon your freedom. Lord, as we look at this account, we do ask that you show us yourself, show us your glory, show us your sovereignty through this account in the life of Joseph. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, before we begin, I would like to commend to you a, an excellent documentary on uh, it, it's specifically on the Book of Exodus, but it deals quite a bit with the life of Joseph in Egypt. It's called Pattern of Evidence: um, Pattern of Evidence: Colon Exodus, um, and it deals with a lot of the archaeological history that we're going that we're not going to talk about today. The archaeology of of this famine in the archaeology of Joseph and his brothers and his family in Egypt, but that particular um, uh, documentary does. So if you have an opportunity, it used to be on Netflix, I'm not sure if it is, but if you look for pattern of evidence, um, you should be able to to find access to that particular um, documentary. It is very well done. Um, And today as we consider Joseph's story, I I want to... we're going to look at two different things, but the main thing that we're going to look at is the idea of the sovereignty of God. Now, the sovereignty of God is a document that or is a is a is a a doctrine, not a document. A doctrine uh, that is oftentimes difficult to understand because how do we, as uh, humans, if God is sovereign over all things, if God has control over all things, um, how do we relate to that in our responsibility? And so we will look a little bit at the sovereignty of God today and a little bit at our responsibility in light of the sovereignty of God. But as we do that, let us consider the story that we have here before us, the account of this life of Joseph. We last left Joseph in chapter 40, the chief cupbearer, after being restored to his position as Joseph had had interpreted his dream to mean, uh, we are told that the chief cupbearer forgot Joseph. And for two years, Joseph is stuck there in prison. And remember, Joseph is there because his brothers betrayed him. Remember that Joseph is there because Potiphar's wife has betrayed him. He is there not because of his own crimes or his own misdemeanors. He is there because of the unjust accusations and selling into into slavery of people around him. You and I would typically... um, begin to languish in that situation. And, and I'm sure Joseph did. I'm sure he had his dark days where he wondered, why am I suffering because of what has been done against me? But as we'll see in today's story, as we look at his, as this account, we'll see that he remembered God throughout his 13 years in slavery and prison. So Pharaoh goes to bed one night. It's two years after the chief cupbearer has been restored. Pharaoh goes to bed. And he has a dream. Now, it's presented to us as two dreams, but it's actually a single dream that he has in two different, two different ways. He sees seven fat cows were given a clue to the life in Egypt. Cows in Egypt didn't like heat or flies, very much like cows here. Uh, but they had the river. They would go and they would submerge themselves uh, up to almost halfway in the river, in the Nile River there. And so Pharaoh sees these cows coming out of the river to graze on the reeds along the bank of the river. And they are beautiful cows. They're fat. They've got the, the, the fluffy hair like you see in the fairgrounds over there. You know, when people show cattle at the fair, they're there, they're brushing them, they wash them, they hair dry them. I've never had never really seen a fluffy cow until I went over across the street there. But these are the beautiful show cows that you would see at a state fair. There are cows that you would expect to see. But then he sees seven scrawny, ugly cows come out. And in a weird turn of events, the scrawny cows eat the fat cows. But the scrawny cows don't get any fatter. So Pharaoh wakes up. He's a little distraught over this, as well he should be. But he goes back to sleep. And then this abundant stalk of grain, one stalk of grain with seven heads of grain on it, Typically, if you're growing grain, you'll look, it only has one head of grain at the top of of that stalk. But this one had seven. It was special. It was full. It was abundant. And then this really just sickly looking blade of grassy grain comes up and it devours the abundant grain. And it doesn't change either for the better. And so Pharaoh wakes up, he calls, he is troubled in mind, we're told in verse 8, which is interesting because the word that is translated there, mind, is the same word that is later translated spirit when he discusses Joseph being full of the spirit of God. We have a contrast here between Pharaoh and Joseph. Pharaoh has a troubled spirit. We're not told that Joseph has a peaceful spirit. What are we told? We are filled that instead of a troubled spirit, he is filled with the spirit of of God so we have a contrast there but Pharaoh wakes up he's troubled in spirit and he gathers all the smart people around him the, the intellectuals of the day who study dreams who study uh, the writings of the day they they're they're kind of your college professors of the day who have their PhD in dream interpretation and he gathers them around him and they look at him and they say we don't have a clue we don't know what to do. And in the midst of this, the chief cupbearer goes, Pharaoh, I forgot something. In fact, I sinned against a young man. I, I, I fell short of my duty to a young man who helped me when I was disturbed by a dream. And maybe he can help you too. So Pharaoh calls Joseph to him. He has uh, Joseph put on new, clean clothes. He has Joseph shaved uh, the 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 wandering tribes that Joseph was part of typically had facial hair and and longer hair. The Egyptians of this time were usually clean shaven, both of face and of head. And so in order to be presented before Pharaoh, he's got to be cleaned up. He's got to have his prison clothes removed. He gets a new suit of clothes. He gets shaved and he's brought to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, what do my dreams mean? I hear that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, I cannot do a thing for you, but God will give you the interpretation. And so Pharaoh explains his dreams to Joseph. He adds a few details that were not there in the original. And Joseph says, look, you're given this dream in two parts, and here's what it means. The seven fat cows, the seven abundant heads on the stalk of wheat or of grain represent seven years. The seven scrawny cows, the the seven scrawny heads on the single blade, the single stalk of grain, represent seven years as well. The first seven years will be years of plenty. Plenty like you have never seen before. The harvest, we're told later on, come in so abundantly that they stopped counting it because they couldn't count it anymore. But then after that, that abundance will be forgotten because famine will fall upon the land. And the famine will be as severe as the abundance was abundant. And it will be so severe that we will forget how abundant the harvest was before. And this famine will not only affect Egypt, we're told later on, it affects all the nations around Egypt, the, the nations that would have been known to Egypt during that time. It's, it's, it's presented to us as the world there, but this would have been an odd famine. You know, the, the nations around Egypt received their water for their crops from seasonal rains that came in through the wet, moist air that would come in off the Mediterranean Sea. Egypt relied upon the Nile River for their water. So it would have been very odd for the entire known world to be in a state of famine at the same time. Because if it wasn't raining in the nations around, well, since the source of the Nile was so far away, typically Egypt still had water. And if Egypt didn't have water, Typically, the nations around them did. There are a few recorded cases going back even beyond this in archaeological records of severe famines like this. So it's not unheard of for a famine like this, but it was a very, very rare type of famine. And what Joseph says to Pharaoh is that God has given you this dream so that you can prepare for this, so that you can get ready for the famine that is to come. And then Joseph takes a huge risk. What was he asked to do? He was asked to interpret a couple dreams or one dream that had two parts. But what does he do at the end of that? He says, and if you want to avoid the downfalls of this famine, here is what you need to do. Now here's the most powerful man in the nation. The man who holds Joseph's life in his hands. And Joseph not only gives him what he wants, but he says, do this. We don't typically, if we were asked to be in the presence of the president or something like that, whoever the president was, we would typically not have the guts to say, do this. Maybe we should have the guts to, to say to our president, do this. But typically he has so much power over us, we are not going to command him to do something. And yet Joseph takes a risk by commanding Pharaoh to appoint a man who is going to oversee everything, gather one-fifth of the produce for the next seven years, store it up in storehouses, so that we can then sell it and distribute it after the famine. So Pharaoh looks around at all his advisors, all the smart people in the land, and he says, who's smarter than this guy? who's more full of the Spirit of God? Or it could also be translated the Spirit of the gods since it was a, a, a polytheistic society. They worshiped more than one God. But he says, who is more full of the Spirit than Joseph? Let's appoint him to do exactly what he recommended we do. And so he does. We begin in verse 40. We see this picture, uh, excuse me, verse 41. We see this picture of a, an of Egyptian investiture ceremony. He's given power In the country, he's elevated to the second in command in Egypt. He is given a wife that is of royal blood, so he marries into a royal family to kind of legitimize his power there. And the land is fruitful. And Joseph is fruitful. We're told that he has two sons. And he's given an Egyptian name. He's living in Egypt. He has an Egyptian wife. But he gives his son Hebrew names. The first one is Manasseh. He, and Manasseh comes from the Hebrew root to forget, to forget. And so he says that he names his first son Manasseh because he has forgotten the evil done against him in Egypt and by his family. Now, forgetting here in this, in this, uh, in this context does not mean what we think of forgetting. You know I, I passed a, you know, I took a lot of tests as I was going through high school and college and, and graduate school. And you know, for those tests, I had to remember a lot of information. And unfortunately, I have forgotten a lot of that information. I can't recall a lot of it. That's not what he means here by forget. Think back to chapter 8 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, God remembered Noah. And then it goes on to say that there are a bunch of actions that God took. God didn't just go, oh, hey, Noah's in the ark. God's memory of Noah moved him to action. Joseph's forgetfulness is going to move him to action as well. Forgetfulness in this context means that Joseph is setting aside his right to retribution against his brothers. He's not forgotten the evil done against him because in chapter 20 he is going to say, "What you did you meant for harm. He, he, he hasn't lost the brain cells that have held on to the memory of the evil done against them. But he has let go of his right to revenge. He has let go of his right to even the scales against his brother, by treat, brothers, by treating them poorly. He will test his brothers. We're going to look at the testing of his brothers coming up in the next few lessons, the next few sermons. But he will not take revenge. When we are told that God forgets our sin, that is not a contradiction that God knows everything. God does not forget the facts that we have sinned against him, but because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he has given up his right to to take revenge or retribution against us for our sins. That judgment, that justice fell upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we do not have to worry that God remembers the penalty for our sin against us. When Joseph said he forgets what has been done against him, he is saying, I will not take retribution. And you know, oftentimes when we forgive others, That is is what we are saying. We're not saying that we're going to forget the evil that they have done against us. We are not saying that there are no longer earthly consequences for the sins of others that others have committed against us. But we relinquish our right to retribution. We relinquish our right to revenge when we say that we forgive, when we say that we forget. Then Joseph names his second son, Ephraim, God. He is reminding God that not only has the land been fruitful under his ministry in the land, but he, he is also reminding himself and God that God has made Joseph fruitful. The slave has been elevated to the second in command. And then we're told that after the seven years of plenty, the chapter wraps up reminding us that the seven years of famine came. The people of Egypt, when their own personal stores ran out, they came to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, go to Joseph and do what Joseph has told you. And we'll, we'll see later on that, that by the end of the seven years of famine, Pharaoh basically owns every piece of cattle, every piece of property, and every person in Egypt, Pharaoh owns. Uh, through the ministry, through the work of Joseph, Pharaoh becomes a very, very rich man. But over all this, we see the sovereignty of God And we see it in several areas. First, we see it in the fact that God God is given credit for the interpretation of dreams. What does God, what does Joseph say to Pharaoh? Pharaoh says, I've heard you can interpret dreams. Joseph says, not me. It's God who is going to give you the interpretation of dreams. What are you saying is the gift and the talent that I have, the words that I'm going to give you are only able to come from me because of the work of God because of what God has done. Our New Testament reading today in 2 Corinthians, Paul says near the end of our New Testament reading, he says, my ministry, my preaching, my sermon, my message, everything that you think as beneficial that came from me actually came from God. Do you realize that whatever talents, whatever skills, whatever professionalisms that you have all come from God? They are not yours. They are gifts from God. He gives all. He gives gifts to all, both talents that we use outside the church and spiritual gifts and talents that we use inside the church. Everything that we have comes from God. The repetition that we see in verse 25 and 28 that that Joseph said, This dream was given to you so that you would know what God is about to do reminds us that God has set this in motion, that God is in control over the seven years of plenty. God is in control over the seven years of famine. And in verse 32, we see that Joseph said, the double dream is there to let you know that God has set this in motion and it will come to pass. And then in the last uh, 17 verses of the chapter, Joseph doesn't say a whole lot. And that is there to remind us that what happens, happens because God has directed it. It's not from the skill of Joseph. It's not from the the glibness or the, the strength of his words. It is because God is acting in Egypt and in Joseph's life. God acts throughout history. And kind of what we have, not kind of, but what we have been seeing throughout the book of Genesis is that God is ordering history for one purpose. And that is to keep the promise that He gives to Eve in chapter 3. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent while the serpent bruises his heel. There's a seven-year famine. A very rare, very severe famine on its way. And the family that God has chosen to carry forward the seed of the woman will be in danger God has ordered Joseph's life. God has ordered Pharaoh's life. God has ordered even the forgetfulness of the cupbearer to bring Joseph to that point. And he continues to work history throughout the Old Testament until Jesus arrives. And he works history through that and he continues to work history through us. And so God is in charge of everything. God is directing the actions of His people. God is directing the actions of the world outside this church. So that means we just sit back and relax and let God handle everything, right? No. When, God told, when Joseph told Pharaoh, this is what God is going to do, what did He do the next? Therefore, you do this. God's sovereignty demands action. God's sovereignty demands motion. God's sovereignty demands work. Uh, you know, we believe that God is sovereign over salvation, that God has chosen out of his own will, out of his own love, by his own pleasure, God has chosen some to save. And we are criticized oftentimes because, you know, we don't, you know, we we are we are accused of having the attitude that we don't have to evangelize because you know, God's chosen. That's not the case. Yes, God is chosen, but that should actually give us a greater strength to go out into our community, into our neighborhoods, into our own households at times to share His love because it takes the pressure off of me. Number one, it's not my responsibility to save, God saves. Number two, if they're rejecting me, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting my message. They're ultimately rejecting God. I'm safe in the whole thing. Yeah, words hurt sometimes. Yes, it's scary. Don't get me wrong. But we have less pressure on us in sharing God's offer of salvation to the world than somebody who believes that it's up to me as to whether or not I'm saved. That I am sovereign over my own heart, over my own soul, over my own salvation. Because if I believe Michelle is sovereign over her own salvation, then my words must have the right weight and the right power to talk her into making that eternal decision. It's not my words. It's not my power. It's God and His Spirit who saves. I'm just the vessel He uses to present the message. And you know what? Sometimes God uses really bad presentations. Actually, I think most of the time God uses really bad presentations to bring people to a saving knowledge of himself because it is him and his spirit that works god is sovereign over everything and god's sovereign decree demands our action one last thing to look at and we'll look at it through the lens of colossians chapter 2 beginning in verse 9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In Him you are also circumcised, and listen to this, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Paul says in the book of Romans that we are slaves to sin. We are prisoners of our desires. We are prisoners of the enemy, the accuser, the tempter. And he says here that by the work of God, our sinful nature has been put off. In the book of Ephesians, he talks it in a, in a clothing metaphor. We put off the old man and we put on the new. Before we come to Christ, we are covered in filthy rags. And yet when the Spirit of God comes into our hearts, enlivens our hearts, we take off those filthy rags and we are clothed in bright new clothes of glory and of royalty. And it's a lifelong process. Unfortunately, sometimes we take off the bright, clean clothes and we try to put the old rags right back on. But God works with us through our life to continually help us, drawing us to Him, drawing us to life in Christ so that we might be clothed In our sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit. But God does the work in changing our clothes. God does the work in cutting and trimming our hair and making us presentable before God. Crystal Wells has a song called Renovate. Crystal Wells, by the way, if you're not familiar with her, just a wonderful, wonderful Christian artist. She doesn't, actually, she gets absolutely no airplay. She has written songs, though, for Laura's story and other people, but her own stuff is phenomenal. But chorus to her song renovate says will you tell me the story when i lose my faith will you whisper and remind me this is the way of grace to take my rags and dress me like royalty all gain comes through loss you burn away the dross every master builder must tear down to renovate take all the time you need make something out of me oh even if it means you tear me down to renovate let us pray Our God and Father above, we do thank You for Your sovereignty. We thank You for Your glory. We thank You that You do not leave us in our prison clothes, but You do renovate us to make us more and more like You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.